Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Wyckoff. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business. This is part two of my conversation with Zach Lasseter. Zach is the AD at Abilene Christian University. On this episode, Zach and I discuss his daily rhythms, the first 90 days on the job, developing an executive team, how he leads coaches, and much, much more. Zach is um, Zach is so good at what what he does. He's super sharp. He's very wise. You will learn a ton from him on this uh, on this episode. So without further ado, my conversation with Zach Lassiter. <clears throat> Love to hear your general day, your general work day from the moment the, the alarm clock goes off to the moment you lay your head on the pillow and go to sleep. I would be just curious on your rhythms. Yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying to build a new rhythm because I, I understand how much impact they have. So I used to be a guy who would exercise after work. Um, and I've I've flipped that now um, to where I do exercise first thing in the morning. Um, I used to be a guy that makes fun of people that drink coffee. And now I totally get why. So um, to me, my, my, the start of my day is, is exercise. It's getting that cup of coffee and then doing my devotional. I've even just blocked out the first hour of my day for no meetings. Um, and so that allows me, I think, to create the right kind of mentality leading into the day. Um, and then I, I try to spend as much time communicating with, with as many stakeholders as possible throughout that day. Um, and whether that's solving problems and having scheduled meetings with coaches, student athletes, staff, donors, or it's leaving time to be able to to bounce around um, and say hi to folks, go to practices, those things. Uh, I feel more comfortable with a lot of things being scheduled throughout the day than having a whole empty day. At the same time, I've done better at blocking out chunks to where I can write. Um, mm. I can think I can I can articulate communicate to to folks, um, but I, I those naturally come um, in blocks of time. But it's it, it is really hard to say, hey, here's here's that day. There's just certain things I carve out that are non negotiables, right? And then with with whatever time I have remaining that day, try and fit all the pieces into place, but don't allow those other pieces to infringe on times where I is non negotiable, whether it's personal growth whether it's time with my family, the other pieces. And instead of trying to fit those pieces around the job, I'm going to fit the job around those pieces. It's really good. Okay. Uh, almost every interview that you hear about, somebody's going to talk about the first 90 days. So let's let's look back at your first 90 days and walk us through what you did, like, what were those first 90 days? What was the first, you know, short season on campus? And what did that look like? Yeah, I had, I had a great 90 day plan. Like I was ready to go. And then through this process, 
I learned pretty quickly that we were going to hire a football coach on day zero and a volleyball coach on day zero. And so there are some things that can't wait <laughs> for your 90 day plan. Uh, and so that first couple of weeks was a speed of trust exercise where I felt confident in processes that I had established over time that helped us identify head coaching candidates, who you're looking for and what characteristics matter. So I felt really well equipped to do that, but I had zero knowledge of ACU. The the first day in my life I'd ever been in Abilene, Texas or within a hundred miles was the day of my press conference. Uh, So I had to quickly get up to speed with what made ACU successful. And then a speed of trust exercise with stakeholders of being a really good listener and trying to understand what that looks like. Um, So while I would say it's not part of anyone's 100-day plan, it was really helpful because we were dealing with high pressure, potentially high adversity situations together. That allowed me, I think, to accelerate trust, honestly, with with a lot of people, especially if you did it well. Um, So we had to get through that. And we did that in the first 14 days. Um, we, We really moved through those processes. That was incredibly important to get those positions, those leadership positions correct. And then it was a matter of uh, being, and this goes back to my listening, is I asked every employee, you know, basic questions, but also what what should we start doing? What should we stop doing? And what should we keep doing? And took all of that information and their trends that came came together really, really quickly. And so early on, it was articulating what we said we wanted to do together. And then slowly doing all of those things. Um, and it naturally aligned with what I thought made sense. And so it, it was a really fun exercise to be able to say after 100 days, hey, everyone, here's what we said we wanted to do. And here's examples of how we're doing it. And it's not because it's my vision as the athletic director. It's our vision as a department of what we think we need to do. Uh, and so that was really, really helpful, I think, of of being able to understand what that looks like. And then I was blessed with some really good, talented people here. Um, and I didn't bring anyone with me, right? I, I really felt that we had some really talented people that maybe we put them in slightly different spots to be successful. Uh, but it wasn't as though it was a complete rebuild. There was a ton of success already going on here. It was just a matter of igniting some of that momentum. And uh, I think we got by in that way because I really felt like we became a department that listened to everyone's feedback. And and there was just this idea that, hey, my voice matters. Um, We're going to make changes. We're going to we're not just going to complain about it. We're going to have solutions for it. Um, And then just over time, it was kind of like chopping wood. Right. I mean, before you know it, you just become, hey, this is what we want to get to. And and we've, we've continued that process even through year one. And it's fun to celebrate the things that we say we want to do, we do now. And now there's new things that we want to get after together. And and now we're just attacking them one, one idea at a time. So you, you said something that triggered a, a thought. The question that I would have is you, you, you were hired at ACU because they thought you were the right person for the job. They probably, they, they obviously there's a personal connection. There's some vision there. You know, you talked about some, some of your strengths. So you come on campus and um, how do you merge? How do you marry kind of your vision that you could see happening, but also getting insight from people who have, who have been on campus, like 
who maybe are from here, who grew up in the ACU family and are now on staff here in the athletic department. How do you, how do you merge those two? Like, man, I think I've got a clear vision. Oh, and there's other people here that, that actually I need to hear from and merge. Yeah. I'd love to hear you riff on that. Yeah. I think early on, I probably said my vision was more important and I'm saying early in my career, I probably overemphasized my vision and and didn't value enough, including others in the process and listening to solutions and problems that are there. Uh, and that's an ego thing, I think, to some degree. Um, I've gone through enough transitions now where I, I think having a vision going into that is a is a dangerous road to go because I think you're limiting your ceiling. I think what you're saying is I have all the answers. And so I'm just going to come in and figure it out. And that these folks who have been at a place longer than me know less than me. Mm. And so I think that I think that lessens your opportunity to have greater success. So I actually think spending more time listening to people that are part of the place that you're joining, who have perspective, who want to make it better that is more important um and that ultimately your vision is how do you how do you allow that place to be successful like i'm a steward of acu like acu is going to be around a lot longer than i am how do i help this organization move forward and uh, i think that's that has been something that has helped me from a humility standpoint understand where you fit <laughs> uh and then ultimately, people start saying that, oh, it's your vision. Because as a leader, we either get right or wrong, we get labeled with success or failure. Uh, but I found that when you want to get people moving towards something, if they're genuinely included and they're involved and they're part of it, that's that's more success than me. Because uh, you sprinkle in certain times where, hey, th- I hear this is what we want to try and solve, right? Well, hey, I can draw on an experience I've had at Oregon State, or I can draw on an experience that I've had at North Carolina, and then apply it to the problem we're trying to solve here. Versus, hey, at Oregon State, we did this, so let's try and do that. Or at my last institution, let's do that. That that that's where I I think we over, I think we overvalue our vision as leaders. <laughs> And undervalue solving organizational challenges and using your gifts and talents to to solve it. So if I did you do you think you did a good job of that the first nine days when you came into ACU being a better listener, maybe than casting vision, like really hearing from people? I think I'm probably the worst person to answer that question, Travis. Gotcha. Uh, but but I would I would say that we've continued that pattern. And I I think people are talking about how what we're doing matters and how they feel like there's more momentum within the department. We're accomplishing a lot of things. Um, So I think we're having success and in part, they attribute that to me just because I think I've changed the environment Mm -hmm. to where we're discussing it versus me saying, we're going to do these 10 things. But this goes back to the humility thing. I think it's really hard for, for people to say like, Oh, we're having the success because of something I did. I think it's more a matter of what what are we accomplishing together? Um, but no, I, I appreciate the question. I just, I have a hard time answering that without sure. coming across as um, being judgmental. Yeah. No, 
nobody's confronted you in your office and called you an egomaniac who doesn't listen, right? So we're good there? Not yet. Yeah, I'll okay. let you know. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I don't take that off. So what is, is, is there an area, looking back, your first 90 to 100 days, where you think now, again, looking back, dang, I wish I would have done this better. Or, man, I could have, I could have maybe, could have maybe handled that differently. No, because I, I think that uh, all of those moments kind of allow me to continue to grow. I, mean, I, I think year one has been a lot about we've covered a lot of a lot of areas, and we've done it in ways that are have started to grow roots. But I think most of my desire now is to spend more time building more depth in areas that seem to be ripe for, for growth. Uh, and so I, I don't believe in looking back and saying, Hey, I should have done this or that. It's more of, okay, now that we've learned this, how do, how do we, how do we adjust? How do we do more of that? Uh, I feel like I'm just acquiring more information every day to where I don't think I possibly could do as good of a job last year as I am this year. That's that's part of growth, right? Is that ability to learn from a situation or to see what's working and what's not. Uh, so that, no, there's not. Um, I, I, I just don't, I don't believe that thinking that way adds adds value or, or, or leads us to where we want to try and get to. Yeah. What have you learned over the last year in regards to leading coaches? I know obviously, in your past, you were sports supervisor, so you've done it. But yeah, from your seat, from the from athletic director chair, yeah, what did you learn in the last year? I think an athletic director can have a really positive impact of being an encourager for a position that is incredibly difficult and is getting more difficult by the moment, um, and a and a job that's incredibly lonely because being a head coach is is a hard job it's a lonely job but it's a very high profile job and it's very hard to build trust in that environment and uh, so recognizing that and trying to to help them through that giving them resources or ways to help them through what inevitably is going to come build community right like help them find like-minded individuals where they can be vulnerable around but also just being present, like being a voice that listens and that cares about where they're trying to go. Um, because like anything, they they want to feel supported. And uh, at the same time, you recognize there's got to be some, some boundary, right? Because ultimately I understand that, that that doesn't stop me from having to make hard decisions when, when they come, uh, but building an authentic relationship and that looks a little different every head coach needs something a little bit different but it's really really hard for them to find somebody to talk to about what they're trying to go through because they're trying to lead their organizations as well and and i have found that very very few of them can do it on their own so even if even if i even if i'm not the person who they can connect with how can i get them connected to somebody or 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 an environment that allows them to navigate what we ask them to do, which um, is an incredibly impactful job, mm. but a really, really hard one, <laughs> and, and and a place where any vulnerability or weakness can be seized upon by all kinds of folks and used against them in, in ways that 
I get, but is is difficult to do that job successfully. Yeah. Let's talk about your uh, staff development with your executive uh, team. I'm curious, how do you, what what was the thought process behind who's on the executive team? Who gets into the room? Who do you want a part of it? Yeah, what was the thought or philosophy behind that? I definitely like creating opportunities for people to grow. Um, and I talk about creating intentional intersections to build empathy. I, I think a lot of administrators um, are so focused on their one area that they don't understand how their area impacts the greater organization. So we actually grew our exec staff from a small circle to a bigger circle uh, because I, I I think that opportunity to grow and to learn from one another allows your top people to bubble up and and be successful. There's risks associated with that in in that um, you may have things that they're working through um, that they're going to fail a little bit. But again, I'm, I believe if you want to be an innovator, you've got to be okay with failure. You've got to be okay with people falling down and encouraging them to get up again. Uh, and making sure they're in the right spot, uh, so it's it was something to where if we're if we're going to do this together, we've got to create this belief in in one another and um, create an environment where where those values are shared. And then a lot of times people will self select out, or you've got to have a conversation of hey, this isn't this isn't an environment for you. You're not enjoying it. Um, but ultimately, I feel like the more people you can get going in the same direction from a leadership standpoint, the greater your impact can be. What was the size you said from smaller to larger? What, what, what was the numbers and then what are they at now? Yeah, now there's, there's nine of us. Um, I think the, my predecessor was sometimes it was one, sometimes it was three. That was just, you know, their style doesn't make it wrong. Um, But, but I felt like for us to solve all the things we were trying to solve, and to get by it. And we need to be a place that can develop people and and be attractive to people that want a growth mindset. A lot of young people uh, want to be a part of something and learn. And I, I think about the opportunities that I was given throughout my career to, to be in rooms or be involved in things that maybe I wasn't quite ready for, but would allow me to grow that made me energized to be a part of it. I wanted to recreate that um, for, for folks in our department that I saw that wanted um, to be a part of that. And we were fortunate. I mean, it would have been interesting to see if I would have thought we didn't have <laughs> nine people, right? Um, the pieces you have sometimes don't allow you to, to have exactly what you're looking to do. Um, I was willing to do that from day one because I, I felt confident enough that enough of those people in that room would create the environment that we want to build. Um, and if one or two of them couldn't quite make it, that's okay versus not giving opportunity for those seven or eight others that I felt like were ready and they were hungry. And this would allow them to reach their potential by being around uh, decisions that were more than just their own area. So I'm an AD and I just, you just talked me into, man, I want to expand my executive team. And so I call you up and I say, Zach, I would love, I think I want to expand my team. Uh, I do think I've got, you know, the, the, the right people, not specific to ACU, but very generally, what are the, what are, what are the things that I need to be aware of that as you expand could shake things up a little bit, could create some, uh, I'm not even sure what the right word I'm looking for. Yeah, what, what, what are maybe the pitfalls to a larger 
uh, executive team? Uh, the, the ability to have candid conversations, um, the risk that comes with um, things you talk about in that room may not always uh, stay in that room. Uh, jealousy, uh, the larger the room becomes, some people are comfortable talking in, in front of a larger group. Some are more one-on-one. So um, you've got to make sure that all your best people are in an environment where where they can share information back and forth. So I think the larger the group you make, the harder it is to have healthy conflict. I think naturally, um, depending on how you have your organization, are you are you comfortable having people that report to people that are in that room versus having, like I don't have nine direct reports. So even though we have a, a room like that, I'm, the, there is some potential pitfalls of having people that report to people in that room and how they navigate those relationships. I think you got to be really aware of, of what impact that can have of does the is a junior member feel comfortable challenging the senior member in that environment, and what what impact does it have beyond just your your exec staff conversations? There's a number of of, of things that can that can play off of it, uh, but again, that's that's risk, right? It's your risk tolerance of what are you willing to risk versus what's that reward versus you know what potential pitfalls can they be, and and I, and I don't feel like you stay married to that one size throughout the way, but what, what's ultimately the most important thing you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. How do you mitigate some of those um, potential pitfalls? Like, do are, are you having the conversation with your staff saying basic, you know, for, for, for the, uh, you know, having candid conversation, are you encouraging them? Hey, it can be hard in a group of nine to have candid conversations. I want to encourage you the best I can to, to, to share where you're at. Like, are you trying to consistently mitigate those potential pitfalls? Yeah, I think by uh, number one, are they are they aware of their pitfalls, right? I, I think it's it's really trying to dive into self awareness of all the folks around you. Of are they aware of how they contribute in a positive way in that environment, or are they aware uh, of not? And then once they're aware, do they want to be held accountable for that, or is that something that they struggle with? Uh, and and so that's every individual is different, like that. But you've got you've got to be able to if you're trying to create an environment that is more inclusive, you've got to be able to have some of those conversations. And it's not as if it's going to go from zero to 60. I mean, there are times where as long as you see growth, it's okay with having failure. Like it's okay. This what we're trying to do is hard. Like we're not going to be perfect as we go along this process. Like that we're not we're not expecting perfection the entire way through. We're chasing perfection in the end. Um, so when we fall short. Let's have a conversation of, did we collectively fall short? Did we individually fall short? What's the impact of that? Um, and that's that's a process that I don't know if that ever ends. That's probably an ongoing process that goes on over time. No doubt. Unless you start dealing with robots, then that'll end. But as long as you're dealing with people, it's probably the ongoing. Yeah. yeah. Was there Has there been anything over the last year that has surprised you with the job? either side, either surprise, like, oh, wow, I was, that was, you know, this was pleasant surprise or wow, I was, this was a little bit of a, it took me back a little bit. Yeah. What was, what's, what's a big surprise? Yeah, definitely more pleasant surprises. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying the opportunity to serve in this role significantly more than um, maybe I was thinking that I would uh, because the impact you can have as a leader is, is remarkable. Like an effective, I guess, to have a 
a, an amazing diverse group of conversations with different stakeholders. And and keep in mind, Travis, it's not Zach Lasseter, right? It's the vice president of athletics chair that allows me to have conversation with student athletes in a different way right. or community members in a different way or folks that are really struggling in ACU is, is um, an impactful place for them. You You get to be a part of amazing conversations and amazing people more frequently because of the position. And I, gosh, I was so close to it for so long. Like I should know that, right? Like that should be obvious, but I, it's significantly more impactful than I envisioned it being Uh, because I was never in those rooms when it was really, you know, the hard stuff or the good stuff or the impactful stuff. And and part of being an athletic director is, is getting to be a part of that and seeing that along the way and, and the impact that it can have. Um, you just get to, you get to have more conversations with people because they, they want to talk to the person who's at the top of the organization. Uh, and so if you use that that time and opportunity really wisely, it, it's it's pretty special. And, and I didn't. I didn't realize that I would find as much joy from that as I have. And and. Tying that into your comment on the encouraging, I think you mentioned it with Dr. Schubert, how powerful and how loud your voice is in people. And so to use that for good, to use that to encourage them and, and propel them seems like such a privilege that you, that leaders have. Yeah. It's very humbling, right? The, the impact you can have. Um, but yeah, I think I can't spend enough time encouraging people with the role I have today. Mm. I, I I can't spend enough time trying to be a good strategic thinker in the position that I am today. Um, and I, I see the impact that it does. So if I can continue to serve in those two, I think, highly visible, highly impactful ways, then it's really incredible to watch what these folks are going to do in, in what we're in in ways that are is much, much greater than anything I could individually come up with on my own. Okay. Okay. I end with three questions. The first question I ask is what are you currently reading or, or maybe listening to that's keeping you sharp, helping you uh, grow? I love uh, Brene Brown's dare to lead podcast. She, she has incredible conversations with thought leaders around uh, vulnerability and leadership and really diving into topics that are incredibly thoughtful, which then triggers reflection to me. Um, so I, I really value those conversations that she has um, with folks significantly smarter than myself. Love it. Well, are you are you currently reading a book or maybe I'll ask it this way. What's been the last best book you've read? Atomic Habits. Hmm. Uh, and this goes back to you asked earlier rhythms like I'm I'm trying to do a better job creating visual cues around me on a regular basis that then trigger the habit that I want to have. Uh, and so I think it's James Clear, I think, writes Atomic Habits. And he yep. was really uh, helpful about. If, if you want to do certain things, like here are small things that you can do to make those things easier. Um, so that was that was highly impactful for me. And I've been successful in, in something, I think, partly because of the triggers that I've done visually that have led me to, okay, 
oh yeah, that's a reminder. I want to do that again. Cause I'm going to see that, uh, throughout, throughout my day. Love it. Uh, second question I asked, what advice would you give a young person just getting into the athletic administration field? Yeah, I know we've talked a lot about self-awareness today. And, and I do think that that journey of, of understanding who you are and your gifts are important. But I'll tell you what, nothing replaces a positive attitude mm-hmm. and, and, a, and a gratefulness for the opportunity to work in this industry. Uh, and you would think, well, everyone has a positive attitude, right? Every, I mean, you get to work in sports, like that's got to be incredible. I'm telling you, it's a strategic advantage. Like if if you've got a positive attitude as a young person or a business, you stand out. And those are the kind of people that I want to spend time around. Those are the people that I want to help. Uh, so don't, I think don't underestimate the impact of a positive attitude. That's so good. Gosh, it's funny. Uh... John Gordon's made a ton of money off basically just saying, Hey dude, have a good attitude. Count your blessings. Yeah. You know, it's so yeah. simple. And yet to but you point, have to believe it. Like don't just have a positive attitude. Like don't do it because Zach Laster is telling you to do it is like find an environment where you can consistently have a positive attitude. And if it's not in sports, that's okay. Like go do it in banking, like wherever it is, like, Find an environment where you find yourself in a positive attitude as frequently as possible, and you will be successful. So good. All right. I end with a uh, question. Who would you like to hear on this podcast talk about their journey in all things leadership? So three three names come to mind. And, and then there's hundreds out there. because I, I love hearing folks that are comfortable talking about their journey into a leadership position and being extremely vulnerable and not trying to to tell you what you want to hear, but feeling comfortable um, in that journey. So one, Jamie Pollard at Iowa State. I I have found Jamie's tenure and way he's led at Iowa State reminds me a lot of Chris Hill at Utah um, in in that um, he's been able to build a successful department over a period of time in a way that I always feel like what Jamie says is, is what he thinks. And I think that's a challenge to do in our leadership over time. Uh, Julie Cromer at Ohio, uh, she's incredibly intelligent, thoughtful. Uh, I just, every time I listen to her talk, I feel like I'm smarter. Um, and, and so the way she is leading Ohio and the way she thinks about it, I think is, is it would be time well spent. Uh, Nikki Moore. So Nikki Moore is at, was at Colgate. Now she's at Cornell. Uh, incredibly thoughtful individual who's doing things for the right reason and has a, has a great perspective, not only at places like Cornell and, and Colgate, but also at Oklahoma and North Carolina. So I, I really feel like she's put herself in different situations that would allow her to reflect and talk about commonalities and differences. Um, I mean, I can go on and on, Travis, but th- those are those are three folks that, um, I mean, I listen to all these podcasts no matter what, but I, I really feel like um, we would all we would all enjoy hearing how those three people lead and, and give us encouragement that we need more people like that leading leading departments around the country. Really good. Thanks for those those three names. Zach, this has been uh awesome. Did not disappoint. By the way, I I uh, as I've gotten to know you over the last I don't know, six, seven months, um 
I've, I've told m- multiple people he is the most unassuming elite leader you'll ever be around. And I think a lot of that is just your authenticity. There's not, there's no posture, there's no promote, there's no flex. There's just a, a kind of a, I think you mentioned it earlier that, and, and, it, and it resonates when you said it, you're really comfortable in your own skin. And um, I just haven't been around uh, a ton of people who have vision, who have clarity, who also are humble and authentic, who also can really connect with people. Just, yeah, I'm just been blown away. So um, as you're, as you're sharing, as you're, as you're giving answers and sharing with us, these things, I had multiple times where I'm like, that's why people need to know Zach Lasseter. Cause that right there uh, is so wise and yet seems so simple. So anyways, I've loved getting to know you. You did a great job today. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Travis. You're you're a blessing to me and to those that you you're around, and and you're an example to me of someone who really embraces what God's gifts are. And you're you're not keeping it to yourself. You're using it, and you're making our industry and people around you better. And so, I'm grateful for our relationship. I'm grateful for you choose to help coaches and leaders get better. Uh, yeah, just thank you, thank you for what you do. You're making a difference. Yeah, thank you.